Welcome to Bible Q&A, a monthly discussion with Luther Seminary faculty about everything you wanted to know about the Bible but were afraid to ask. I'm Cameron Howard. And I'm Eric Barreto. And we also have with us special guest, Professor Jim Boyce. Hello. Good to be here. Today we're actually talking about Cameron's piece about all these begats, all these lists of genealogies. And I thought one place we might start talking about this is um, how we still do this in some ways, that we are still looking for our ancestors and what that might mean. Um, let's start there. W- w- why do we do this? Well, I think that's a great question. I went to the genealogy site Ancestry.com recently. This is not an endorsement, just a reference, research. Unless you want to sponsor the podcast. <laughs> right. Um, but their tagline said, discover your family's story. And I think that's what we're looking for. We're looking for these stories of our identity. Who are we and how does who our ancestors are shape who we are? It's not so much we want to write down, you know, a big list of the family tree. I mean, part of that is important. But the reason we have that information is not simply to have it, but to understand um, our own identity and sort of where we've come from and how does that make us who we are today. Which is really striking because we, you know, before you start this process and, and, and today, we don't know these people's names, we don't know their stories. And yet, we imagine that by going back and figuring out who they were, we can say something about how who we are today. Um, and it's it's kind of this construction of a story. It's something about my identity that's at stake. I think that's very true, uh, that sometimes we can find out more or less information about connections and family connections. But uh, what little we can find out or what more we find out it does give us a kind of a place to anchor uh, who who we are, where we come from. Uh, I remember some years ago that uh, we were able to travel to Norway, uh, which is part of my wife's ancestry, and my daughter went along with us. And while we were there, we were able to visit on a on a mountain uh, slope the actual log cabin that uh, <laughs> her grand great grandfather had emigrated to the to the united oh, states wow. from and as we were doing devotions on the choir bus a- after that experience uh our daughter led devotions and she said this has just been a great experience for me because now i know something about who i am mm-hmm. and it was just a revelation mm-hmm. to her mother and i uh that that she had this kind of experience just because she had been able to make those connections uh, mm-hmm. with ancestry and sometimes we do find out things that are strange uh, <laughs> a few months ago i was uh poking around on the web and happened to type in a a name of a of a ancestor and in the in the uh, following of the streams i discovered uh why my father's middle name was sylvester uh, i had never known that in all huh. my life and my father had never told me but i discovered that it was the middle name of of his great 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 grandfather uh and so it's a lot you of discover, <laughs> you discover things uh that uh, open up new vistas sometimes in ancestry and it's fun it's yeah, there's just there's this yearning to know something about where we came from. Is that yearning part of what's driving all these long lists of names that we often gloss over or we fall asleep in the middle of because we don't know who these people are? Is that what's behind this, or what do you think is going on there? Oh yes, I definitely think that's part of it. Um, the Bible itself is a book that helps bring 
the past into the present and the future for us. I mean, we are interested in the story of God um, from the beginnings of the world until now, and what will God do in the future? And so, you know, that very task lends itself to genealogy, which does the same thing, right? It draws these lines that connect the past to the present, and then mm-hmm. you always, you know, for your children, have, leave the space for what huh. comes next. Um, so I think I think the Bible lends itself to genealogy to begin with, but, but I think genealogies in the Bible, in addition to having this sense of um, identity, also make claims, all sorts of claims about who people were, how important they were, right? What was their social role, for instance? Um, This becomes particularly important after the return from exile uh, when they're rebuilding the temple um, and the question is, who are the priests, right? Who who can serve (laughs) in this temple? How how do we think about um, reinstituting the religious practices that we had had before this cataclysmic event? And so... Um, in Ezra and Nehemiah, we read about a turn to these genealogical lists because vocation, particularly the priestly vocation, was assigned by your family, your your lineage. Um, so there's that claim making that goes by. But you know, also, um, it, it's common throughout history um, for monarchs, right, kings and queens, or people who come across their vocations, mm-hmm. right, their yeah. claims to the throne um, through family lineage, they need to have proof. And so we see that happening um, in the Bible. You know, we need to know um, who King David is, and then particularly um, who are the descendants of David so that that monarchy can continue Um it was common for all of those kings who were around Israel and Judah during their history. So the kings of Assyria, the kings of Persia, whoever was in charge at the moment, right, they would justify themselves, their rulership, by genealogy. So there's something sort of inherently um, uh, political, I suppose, in in genealogies as well. Yeah, there's not just, it's not just... People aren't just curious about information about the world. There, there's something at stake, something important. Whether I'm a, a rightful king, um, or whether I'm a rightful priest, that all these things are at stake. Um, when we turn to the New Testament, we get some genealogies as well in both Matthew and Luke. The genealogies aren't exactly alike; they're even in different places, right? So Matthew starts with the genealogy and then tells the story of Jesus' birth. Luke tells the story of John's birth and Jesus' birth and then drops in the genealogy. Um, Jim, what do you make of all those genealogies there? Well, I think, uh, uh, Cameron, you talked about uh, kingship and the like, and certainly when you look at, at Matthew's genealogy in the opening chapter, uh, the issue, of course, is Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the King. How, by by what right does do, do, can we make that claim about Jesus? And certainly at some level, the purpose of the genealogy is to establish the the right of Jesus to be king in the line of David. But I think another aspect of the genealogy is uh, that there are some strange things that often happen in the connections in the genealogy, as so, something that you point out in your in your uh, edit essay about uh, strange either strange people or surprising people, and certainly. In all, the story, all, all our families have skeletons it, in the closet. Yes, right, <laughs> Ma- Matthew brings them right out. <laughs> yeah. And probably the 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 real uh, su- 
quote, skeleton in the closet in the story of Jesus is uh, Jesus' birth uh, and Jesus' parentage, certainly the matter of Mary and Joseph. And sometimes it's it, we take it so much for granted we kind of skip over uh, or can, it can not dawn on us that uh, if you look at the genealogy, the genealogy in Matthew is traced through Joseph, but our tendency is to say, well, Joseph isn't really the father. Well, then how can the genealogy work? So it really raises questions, it seems to me, about how can Jesus be God's Messiah? What is God about in all of this? And the genealogy leads us uh, into uh, being open to new ways in which God is working to accomplish God's promises. God's promises are sure. Uh, God will make sure that the Messiah comes, and it may happen in strange ways. Uh, in the genealogy, I think it's interesting that the way in which that finally happens in Matthew's story is that at the end of the first chapter, Joseph claims Jesus as his son. He adopts him as his child by giving him the name Jesus as God has revealed through the angel uh, so that the genealogy finally works uh, only through the trust that through this way God's promises will actually come to fruition. Joseph's adoption of Jesus doesn't make him any less his father and doesn't diminish the fact that God is Jesus' father as well, that both those things can be true. It's so it's this very powerful, I think, theological moment and because there's these five women listed in Matthew's genealogy. And I think those are also moments of threat when the lineage seems to, there might be, you know, there's a threat that it might stop and yet something unusual happens and God says, I'm still working in this. Yeah, and the other part of that, I think, is uh, that the genealogy also uh, takes great pains to link Jesus' story with the story of God's people. I mean, the, going all the way back to Abraham and following that story all the way through says that this can't take place apart from the faithful people who have been part of that story from, from the get-go. And that's an important dimension. Faithful well. sometimes uh, <laughs> people take odd, odd routes to get the faithfulness, but well, right, and that very um, oddity, right, that faithfulness is not uh, always what it looks like on the surface, right? I mean, I think about um, Tam- well, any of these women, um, but we can take Tamar, for example, in Genesis thirty-eight, who um, whose husband died and. Um, his brothers should have then, one of his brothers should have then married her, and the next one dies. No one will fulfill this um, legal obligation of leveret marriage, and so she um, takes, takes it upon herself her to, <laughs> that's right, to disguise herself as a prostitute. Um, her father-in-law avails himself of her services, and um, when she is found out to have acted in this, well, to have acted as a prostitute, um, you know, Judah says, well, let's stone her. And she's able to say, look, look, mm. it's, this, it was you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in yeah. the right. The line's going to continue. This is, this is how the story's got to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think theologically too, it's a very powerful, um, a powerful message. The genealogy is full of, uh, the Old Testament story, right? It's sort of brimming with the greatness of King David and also uh, women who are marginalized in society but sort of 
um, make a claim, right, for themselves and for their faithfulness and for their relationship with God and their place in God's story. And the genealogies kind of confirmed that God was there, that this wasn't people taking it upon themselves, but this is God's promises always holding true, even when it looked like there was no chance that God's promises could be true. And then it involves foreigners and involves all kinds of people that normally we want to keep out of these lists, but that Matthew puts it in it. I like that. It says something about Jesus' family. And then I think says something about us that yeah. as well. Yes, and I, I would add to that too that that part of that is that it says to us that faithfulness is not always to be equated with righteousness or at least righteousness as we might mm-hmm. imagine well a, imagine it. Uh, there are some strange characters in the story, and uh, even in in Matthew's story, uh, we are told that that. The one thing we're told about Joseph in at the end of the genealogy is that he is righteous. And mm-hmm. what righteousness plans to do in response to that is he decides to divorce Mary, to get rid of mm. her because she is with child outside of what yeah. we would see as righteous. The right thing to do. But <laughs> yeah. immediately an angel appears and says, no, uh, this is not the way it's going to be. So... So at certain points, the genealogy reminds us that that God's promises take sh- new shapes, and that also means that new understandings of what righteousness or what constitutes righteousness are being contemplated in our being uh, brought into this story. Uh, righteousness is going to take on a new key uh, in light of this genealogy in which a son who is not really a son can be adopted and become the very uh, Messiah of God. Uh, and that often is the way that God works is through those surprising ways that are not what we would choose or what we would imagine are the ways of, of God's dealings. I had a student who, after we talked about Matthew's genealogy of Jesus in class, did a Bible study at a women's prison on the genealogy of Jesus. Um, and she said that it was a wonderful um, articulation of the gospel, right? A wonderful word from God um, to women in prison that there were prostitutes in Jesus's family line, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. this Jesus who eats with outcasts and sinners, um, that that was powerful testimony of um, of God's goodness and faithfulness. Um, and so I think you know, that's in a genealogy, right? Mm-hmm, the genealogies, mm-hmm. we think, oh, I'm just going to skip over that. But I'm, the, I'm the 27th cousin of John Adams or something like that. No, <laughs> right. <that's>, usually emphasize <laughs> right. the good stuff. but Right. But to sort of take the time to not think of it as just another hard-to-pronounce name, but, mm. you know, is there a story here that yeah. I would like to know that can help me know more about what's going on in these texts? So maybe in short, we could say the begats. Not so boring. that's right sometimes quite thrilling (laughs) so everybody go read them in short thanks Cameron for a great piece thank you Jim for joining us today thank you thank you for joining us on Bible Q&A you can find more information at enterthebible.org join us again